I'm Craig James, and this is Big Audacious Idea, the show about thinking big. We investigate the greatest questions of life, and we ponder the future. We also endeavor to foster abundant thinking during times of uncertainty. Welcome to the show. Can humans reach a higher plateau and connect more meaningfully through music? My guest today is conductor Wilson Hermanto. We'll be talking about the magic of music and its impact on our human experience. In this discussion, we'll explore the idea that music is a bridge. It's an elevated place of creation and a way for fostering meaningful connection and progress for us all. So why listen to Wilson? He's an accomplished conductor and musician. Since 2017, Mr. Hermanto is the principal guest conductor of the Chamber Orchestra Cameristi della Scala. Wilson, thanks for joining the show. Hi, Craig. Very nice to meet you, and I'm very grateful for the invitation to chat with you on this podcast session. And we're grateful to have you, sir. And I did provide such a very brief introduction regarding you and your background, but there are probably things you'd like to share with us, uh, things about you perhaps that our listeners may not otherwise know. Well, I'm an orchestra conductor. Principally, I'm a classical musician. By training, I first learned several instruments. Uh, I played the piano and the violin, and I got my conservatory degree in violin performance, but music making is all about sharing and sharing with many people. So in my teens, I started to get inspired by the idea, perhaps I may have the chance or the luck to be conducting a big group of musicians, which we may call an ensemble or or an orchestra. So um, during my study, I grew up in Indonesia. First of all, I wanted to introduce myself. And in Indonesia, classical music 35 years ago, that was not really a profession which many kids thought about to get into. So my parents never thought I would choose this as a profession, but it's like a bug. (laughs) It's like a little virus biting me and at the same time it's also like a calling so i felt that music is a language which i feel connects so many people together and the energy from sharing that music making together is a calling in my heart that i want to share with as many people as possible so that is a kind of the incentive that makes me want to be a professional musician but then, you know, if we talk about music as a career, that's another whole subject. Yeah. Wilson, we'll talk a little bit about the business of music. Uh, but you naturally went down right where I hoped we'd go initially, uh, is to get very fundamental and philosophical about what music is and why it's so special. As a matter of fact, I've heard that it's the only activity that uses truly both sides of the brain. And in one of the interviews I listened to where you were speaking, I think you you were marveling over how, you know, music is sound after all, but yet it's something different. I think you used the term, uh, it's a higher plateau. Share with us what higher plateau means in the context of music. Music is an organized sound, whether we want to talk specifically about classical music or other types of music, jazz or popular music, rock music, the description of music is an organized sound. And specifically, 
classical music, you know, the term classical is very often misunderstood because classical, we think right away of the period which happened 250 years ago. While the actual meaning of classical music is more like a serious music, but the serious music starting from the period of Renaissance, so from, let's say, beginning of the 16th century up to today. So in the classical music, we're talking about the period of Renaissance, Baroque, classical, romantic, late romantic, 20th century, and the contemporary music of today. I had the great opportunity years ago to be involved in a uh, Shakespeare company here in Cleveland. And I found it interesting because I was part of the board of this organization, not so much because I was a student of performing arts, but for other reasons. And through the experience, I learned uh, about uh, stage production and many things about Shakespeare. And one of the things that I found fascinating was that the perception of Shakespeare was this ultra sophisticated, inaccessible, even intimidating set of performance art. And I found out that the early origins in Shakespeare's day, uh, these were pretty wild parties, and he was sort of a, a renegade, and a, he would cause a ruckus with some of his work. And then through the years, we've become accustomed to it being this very refined, sophisticated thing. Is there the same kind of thing with classical music during its day? Was it like the, the rock band of the day? And maybe we just have a different perception now, 200 years later? Yeah, I mean, our society today, some people thought it's elitist, but actually, if if we would go back to the time when it actually took place, those years, um, music were actually part of daily life of human being. It's like bread and butter. You just mentioned Shakespeare, and Shakespeare were troops of you know everyday people, everyday life. Music is the same thing. The Western classical music originated for the pleasure of entertainment of the kings and the blue blood people, right? The blue blood family which means the um, royalties. But it's actually music of everyday's life. You go to uh, the time of Franz Josef Haydn. He was working for the Esterhazy family, but he was also writing music for his folks. You know, if you look at his oratorio, he talks about the seasons, the, the grape vandage, you know, where you actually, how shall we say in English, uh, when you produce the grape. Uh, the crush? The crush? Yes, uh, during the, the the grape season. Ferment, fermentation exactly, and crush. Exactly, yeah. So he was talking about the activity of people, the farm, spring, summer, autumn, winter, and the literature of those days. Look at uh, Robert Schumann, for example, or Franz Schubert writing songs, Leader, which is a song for one voice with piano accompaniment and taking the poetry of, of the famous poets of their days. You know, we're talking about everyday's life, about love, about despair, about uh, tragedy, about something funny and foolish. It strikes me as we talk, Wilson, about the integratedness of human experience, if through music or other art expression. Obviously, you know, we humans are meant to create. And one of the performances that really struck me. I believe it was uh, WC's uh, Children's Corner, and it was with the Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra. And there was a young woman performing visual art as you were leading great musicians to play music. Tell us a little bit about that idea, and maybe that spawns some thinking you have and some perspectives around uh, not just music, but 
expression of art, period. Yeah, you know, I would like to quote a famous phrase which Richard Wagner used when he wrote his operas. He used the term Gesamtkunstwerk. It's a German word which means a total artwork. So what he wanted people to understand in his operas is that operas is not just stage direction, but also it's stage direction, music, words, because in, in the operas uh, you have the text. And he was writing his own librettos of the operas. So you have staging, which is acting movement, at the same time singing, and the singing is involved in the text, and then there is the music. But in the presentation of theater, you also have the lighting, the decor. So what Richard Wagner was saying is that music is total artworks. And in many ways, it is true because when we listen to music, even though it's only sound, but our imagination has different thought at any moment. And what you feel about music is completely different than, let's say, what I feel or even what another person next to us feel. So you brought up the subject of Debussy Children Corner, which is a piece originally written for piano, but what you heard and saw it's a piece which is orchestrated for symphony orchestra, but Debussy originally wrote it for solo piano. And this is music which has imaginary vision. So for the people who listen to these little movements, you can picture according to the titles of each movement. Music is in many ways imaginary voice. So whether it is a symphony, which actually have no programs at all. You know, we can talk about a famous piece by Ludwig van Beethoven. For example, the famous Fifth Symphony. Pa, 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 pa. Ya, pa, pa, pa. There is no programs in this music. But when you listen to a piece so passionate and so dramatic, everyone has a thought, oh, was Beethoven thinking of an anger because you know you know Beethoven was a very complicated individual. He was completely deaf, but he was also bipolar in many ways. He could become angry in a second of some little banal thing which disturbed him and or he would be the kindest human being. History tells us that he was so much protecting his nephew. He had a brother, Carl, who died, and Carl had a son. So Beethoven was so protective of his nephew and he couldn't let anyone abuse this boy or treat this boy in a way that he felt improper. For example, his brother was with a woman that Ludwig van Beethoven didn't like and he tried to block this nephew not to have any association with the mother. So, you know, music is an expression of many things. You talk about the higher plateau. Now we talk also about how music change human being. Anyone in, in this world can be touched by music, even those who never had any education about music. That's why when we educate a child, you know, introduce a child in music, it will inspire the development, the intelligence and the artistic development of this child to be hopefully a better human being. So we just discussed this multi-sensory aspect of music and the 
magic of being in a venue and the sights and the sound and being in that visceral experience. And now a lot's changed in the world. You know, the show is timeless, but the times are changing. And so I wonder with all that's happened and happening in the world, how performance art is changing. Thank you so much for this very good question. Today in our life, we are blessed by the technology. If we go back to five or 10 years ago, in comparison with what we have today, the technology today is amazing. You know, you can even produce a concert from your living room and broadcast it to the whole world at the time when it happens. And it costs basically nothing. So in some way, the technology is amazing because human beings connect with each other much easily now. But at the same time, the high art itself cannot be replaced by just technology. Because when you experience a performance live, public attending performance right there in the hall, where there is a communion shared between the performer and the audience listening and the music playing at the same time with the experience being together. And in some case, some halls have beautiful acoustic you know, we're talking about, for example, Severance Hall in Cleveland or another great hall in the United States, the Symphony Hall in Boston, Carnegie Hall in New York, and many, many other halls. You know, we can mention many things. Those bring special colors, energy, and experience which cannot be described by words. You can have the best technology at home with computer added by enhanced uh, speaker system, a great earphone, it still cannot replace an experience of sharing music in communion with the others. So this is something which I believe, even though we are now experiencing very difficult moment, the whole world is going through this uh, pandemic and we don't know until when all the restriction can be lifted up and life can go back to normal as before the pandemic erupted. Of course, we have to use whatever technology we have in our hands to be able to communicate, to be able to share beautiful message in music or in thinking, even in teaching. You know, we are talking now about how students can get back to the classrooms, whether classrooms actually can be done as an in-person learning. Many schools are still trying out ways to solve this because if we go back to quickly having everybody you know, in the same room and then cases spike up again, then one more time things have to be closed down. And every time there is a close down, it costs more money than later you know, to start up properly. Uh, you helped me think about the fact that live performance is so different. One would think, well, it's not all that different. You could play through technology, but the, the thing you're helping us see is, is this idea of communion and connection. The experience itself is so much about what a live performance is. And so one wonders if there's a way to replicate that through technology. And as we talk, this just came to mind. I wonder if you think that this moment in history might actually produce certain types of music, the creators of music, uh, quite often through uh, dramatic human experience, a war or whatever might create the impetus for creation of music. Do you imagine that there will be new and different 
compositions coming out of this time in history. Yes, I suppose so. But at the same time, we also have huge lists of repertoire uh, talking about going back to the 16th century until today. And principally, if you talk about the classical period uh, or romantic period, which many so-called music aficionados know and love, you know, we talk about literature from Johann Sebastian Bach, Mozart, Haydn, Beethoven, Schumann, etc., up to Stravinsky, Bartok, you know, uh, Prokofiev, for example. This repertoire has to be played basically ideally in a live settings. Now, the problem is that if you want to bring back live performances, whether we're talking about symphony orchestra or opera company or even smaller group, you know, you have a hall which can usually contain 2,000 seats or 1,500 seats. Suddenly, due to this COVID pandemic, the maximum number of people that can be allowed in the hall is probably no more than 40% capacity. The problem with that is that we're talking about United States. Most symphonic orchestra, opera house, um, concert series, music festivals are supported by private sponsors or corporation. So in order to function, this donation, which uh, is basically the backbone of, of the organization, they have to have also an income, income of ticket sales. Although ticket sales is never going to cover 100% of the annual budget. But if the ticket sales suddenly can only produce very small income, you know, any organization will have huge trouble going forward. We're talking about even short term, one year and a half, two years, that already create a lot of problems. You know, we're talking about, just as an example, the New York Philharmonic uh, recently made uh, a statement that Officially, they won't be able to get back into action before January 2021. And an orchestra like the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra, which is a major orchestra, one of the major orchestras in the United States, decided to cancel the whole 2020-21 season. And many other similar organizations, perhaps smaller organizations, have decided to also cancel the whole 2020-21 seasons. Musicians are suddenly without salaries. In Europe, the business model is still principally supported by government art funding, which unfortunately in the United States is not the case. In Europe, many opera houses and orchestras are still sustained by this government subsidy. So they are not playing like before, or even if they're playing with the capacity of 30 or 40% audience in the hall, the organization are still able to survive. I don't know for how long, but the business model is different. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me, or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. So we're talking about now the reality of not only what music is to humans, 
or the business of it absolutely and how it's shifting and it's changing and i wonder and i'm careful with this because with great respect for the incredible artistry and dedication to performance art there's so much that goes behind it that people might not realize so the respect is this if someone's career is at risk if a performing arts company is at risk some might say well that's sad but too bad right now we've got to figure out the economy we've got to uh, get rid of this uh, virus thing and i would say that is a dangerous thing to jump to such a conclusion I'm making an assertion here, and I think you've spoken to how music and creative expression isn't just a nicety, but a necessity for human progress. Help us understand why this isn't just a nice add-on to life, but central to it and essential for the future. Yeah, of course, we can also see performing arts as purely entertainment business that exists as well. But I believe that culture, um, in the highest sense, makes human being a better human being. Why is that? It's something which is indirect, but something which we have to live with. Uh, it's like consuming food every day. We may not realize that our body is not just consuming food because we have to eat, but it's because the food we consume gives health to the body. The body reacts better. It's the same as when we have culture. Culture in this sense is whether it's music or visual arts. As part of our daily life, you know, when we are actually surrounded by the beauty and the beauty helps us to think higher. When you read books, for example, a literature, great literature by Hermann Hesse, for example, or by Dostoevsky, where it's not just an easy reading, but it's, it's a reading that stimulates the mind to think, what is the psychology of the protagonist in this story? Why the story creates certain conflict or certain feeling to us reading? That's the same thing with music. When you listen to, for example, a Beethoven piano sonata, it's not just to listen to the note coming to the ears and passing by like that. But when someone is quietly listening, even just thinking what the music say to ourselves, when we listen to music, your feeling about it and my feeling and someone else's feeling is completely different. Even a happy piece of music to another person can feel more like not completely happiness, but it's just another type of feeling which I can't even describe. So stimulating the mind and the brain and the feeling it makes us a better human being because when you can appreciate something which is not easy to understand when you know that this piece of music takes maybe 5 10 20 30 times to listen and then you still discover something new 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 the mind will also make us feel a better human being we cannot suddenly become someone who wants to kill a person or even harm another person because you're constantly thinking of a higher plateau. We're constantly searching the meaning of life, the meaning of what life means for us because lives can end tomorrow, right? Our life can be just sometimes brutally ended like that. But at the end of the day, we started to say there are more beautiful things in life than just 
playing video game than just maybe drinking alcohol. You know, I'm not saying we should not do all those things, but what I'm saying is that we, as an artist, it's my responsibility to say that culture is part of education of society. Daniel Barenboim, a great musician, has uh, spoken very much about the necessity to bring Israeli and the Palestinian together to play music. Because when they have to play music at the same stand, you know, two young musicians playing, let's say, a symphony by Brahms, you cannot be arguing about politics when you have to decide which sound you want on this note or which bow stroke you have to do. Because if Brahms wrote music to be discovered by whatever political um, belief you have, uh, an Israeli and a Palestinian, they cannot be killing each other because they have to see on a higher level a creation by Johannes Brahms. And with the thought, music is not going to solve politics, but if human beings are constantly imposed on the higher thing in life, higher plateau and higher thinking, to look for beauty, beauty beyond another beauty, we hope that we will have a better world and which we so desperately need. And we have to bring people together. We have to fight racism. We have to fight differences in our skin color or our political belief. We must bring people together. And one of the ways to bring people together is through the language of arts. And it means that we have to educate the young generation and also to educate people, no matter how old they are. We have to constantly bring this to life every day. So beautifully said and with such passion and commitment. Uh, Wilson, I hear the power of this higher plateau so we can all be better individually and together. The power of creation, the connection through music, the idea of compassion and community and communion. These are all things that maybe when we think of beautiful music, we don't think of those grand implications. But as you said so well, you know, at this time, probably more than ever before, we need to find those higher levels, those plateaus and those frequencies, if you will, that we can all tune into. If you may allow me just to add a little bit, it's actually not a question of making people love classical music or an artwork which people don't care before or don't understand. It's not that. It's, that's not the purpose. But when any human being allow himself or herself to be immersed by a so-called art form which takes time to understand. You know, when we talk about great creation, whether it's music or literature or paintings, which not in an instant you can say, I love it. That's even better because when you actually need, as I said before, five, 10, 20, 30 times to go back to the same thing, to listen again and again, or to keep visiting the same paintings until you actually understand what the painters try to say, that means we try to open all our senses. As a human being, we have all the senses, whether we want to call it sixth sense or seventh sense, our body and mind and our soul. And in French, there is a beautiful word. It's called sentiment because sentiment means feeling. So the human feeling of every joint, every little inch of our skin, we try to absorb something which is hopefully brings beauty, peace, tranquility, and also something to grow. Doesn't matter how old we are. We can be 30 years old, 80 years old. We do still need to grow. And people say when the older you are, 
And the more you stimulate yourself, it can also help to fight, you know, illness like dementia, for example, because the mind is constantly active. As we endeavor to continue to grow and learn, and maybe this is time for us to challenge our listeners, our audience, uh, Wilson, in closing here, if you were to ask listeners to maybe not do something, but think in a certain way about something, what would you challenge them to do? We are living in such an unprecedented time, not only because of the COVID-19, but because of the way the world has evolved. Nowadays, we are talking about the need to build more bridges together. This is so important today to really bring together society of different nations, different religion, different political background to make our world a better world. And the language of classical music, in this sense, is an international language. It's true that it is originated from Western Europe, where it started and developed. But it has become an international language. You could be someone coming from a country in Africa, or from East Asia, or from Antarctica, which actually have no prior background to the music of Beethoven. But the music of Beethoven, as an example, is a universal language. It's not German music, but it's the world music. And this is what's amazing about classical music. It's, it's a power to unite people together. Beautifully said, Wilson, thank you so much. We've been with Wilson Hermanto today, and this is Big Audacious Idea. Wilson, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much, Craig. It's our imagination that is at stake here. Our ability to think and truly connect. Music brings us, as Wilson calls it, imaginary vision. And that music is an imaginary voice. So our ability to imagine, our ability to create, our ability to connect depends on music. Further, music is a platform for human story. It connects us with one another and it connects us through time. It helps us hear what we feel and think. I'm Craig James, your host, and you've been listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. Let us know what you thought about our chat with Mr. Hermanto by tweeting me at cjamescatstrad. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review it in your podcast app. It really helps. Big Audacious Idea is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcasts.com. Special thanks to Wilson for providing the music we used in this episode. I'd like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, production director, Bridget Coyne, and my co-executive producer, Michael D'Aloya. Thanks for listening. Until next time, don't just think audacious, be audacious. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. 
tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.